morning from the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning in verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him, though indeed He is not far from each of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are His offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. The Word of Life. It is helpful to know, previous to where we are reading, that Acts tells us that Paul has started a missionary journey to the Gentiles, and now he's arrived in Athens, and he is walking around Athens, and as he does so, Acts tells us that he is deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Paul is on this trip around the regions, around the Mediterranean, and he's trying to persuade people that there is a new revelation from God. And that the story is that God has raised this person from the dead. This Jesus of Nazareth has been raised. And Paul wants them to know that he has had an experience with him. He knows that he is alive. And that God is alive and at work in the world on their behalf. And they can be sure of that. He says that in the very last sentence where we read in verse 31. Of this, He, God, has given assurance to all by raising Him, that is Jesus, from the dead. Paul is trying to persuade any who would listen that Christ has been raised from the dead. And this changes everything. As he walks around Athens, he sees all these different shrines and places of worship. He sees what he calls the objects of their worship. And in the whole variety of that, he sees an opening to talk with them about his belief. He wants to tell them about his faith in a God that he knows. Before we look at the specific content of what he says to these Greeks, I want us to Note something that Dr. John McClure, 
who's a Bible professor at Vanderbilt Divinity School, pointed out in one of the commentaries I read this week. He says this about Paul. Note that he did not weigh in immediately with critique, but embodied intellectual and spiritual hospitality. There is a spirit of welcome in the way Paul communicated his message. He acknowledged whom he was talking with, granted them their own creative powers of thought and invention, and invited them to go further in their thinking with him. He provides a sense, Dr. McClure says, of intellectual and spiritual hospitality. In other words, he does not start by attacking them, as many do in a discussion or debate, Rather, Paul recognizes them as people of value and approaches them accordingly. It's so common these days to see people who disagree simply begin to attack another person, not only what they say, but who they are, and really devalue or try to degrade them. It's so easy to move from an assumption that if you have differences with me in terms of opinion, that somehow... You are also inferior to me in the eyes of God. This seems to be certainly a plague of many religious people. But Paul takes a different tact. When he approaches these Greeks, he takes a different tact. You can hear it when he begins to address them. In that very first verse we read, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. It's not that Paul's going to agree with them. He thinks that they do have inferior, or at least incomplete, beliefs about God. He wants to discuss it, but he comes with an attitude of respect when he begins to speak to them and values them as people, as children of God, worthy of all respect that he can give. I think of our graduating high school seniors today and what a marvelous example they have had amongst the leadership of Boston Avenue for these last several decades of being willing to interact with all different kinds of groups in our city. And yet, even though we have differences with some of them, still treat them with respect and love. You can see this particularly in our interfaith relationships that have been built over these last several decades. That even though we know we don't all have the same beliefs, we have engaged in discussion and cooperative mission at times, working for the good of the community. Even though we know we don't all have the same beliefs, we have been willing to embody, as Dr. McClure said, this intellectual and spiritual hospitality to one and all these young people have been able to see the leadership of this church doing just that i think it's wonderful that they have had a chance to see deep faith modeled by leaders here as well as deep love and respect for all of god's children well, that's the foundation that Paul starts with as he begins to address these Athenians. But he says, I know that 
you think God is unknown, but let me tell you what I know. And then he tells them three things. I put them in your outline. The first one we can find as we look in verse 23. Right after where we were reading, he goes on to say, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. Paul is saying, This God of which I'm telling you is not our invention, nor is this God limited to the physical realm this is not something that you have built or come up with this God is much bigger than all of that then he goes on in verse 24 to follow up on saying this God who made the world and everything in it also is the one who gives to all mortals life and breath and all things so Paul's second point is this God is behind all creation and this God can still be known Dr. Leslie D. Weatherhead the great preacher author theologian who was a Methodist in England lived last century writes about this he tries to help us understand the force or the presence the mind behind creation he writes these words if I leave my bed unmade my bedroom a tangle of sheets blankets and pillows and returning find that someone has made my bed providing warmth for my body and a pillow where my head can rest i deduce that a mind which can move and control matter has been at work weatherhead goes on to write purpose anywhere must mean purpose everywhere even if purpose is not yet discernible or not yet worked out fully. The atheist says the universe is purposeless, and yet he himself is purposeful. This seems odd to me. When he says the universe is meaningless, he claims to be saying something meaningful. If there is no purposefulness to be found anywhere in the universe then this is the result of a colossal accident. And as Dr. Edwin Conklin, the biologist, said, the probability of life originating from accident is comparable to the probability of the unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing shop. <laughs> Paul says there is a God behind all of creation. Then Paul goes on to his third point. He says this God created humanity in such a way that we are all related. It's in verse 26. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. Paul believes that this God not only created the universe, but has continued to be at work and has created us and created us in such a way that we're all a part of the family of God. It's one thing to ignore a stranger or an enemy. It's quite another to ignore a brother or a sister, someone to whom you are related. Paul is saying we are all 
related here. There's an old story about a rabbi and some of his disciples and how he was training them to think. He was often quizzing them, asking them questions. One day he asked them, when is it clear that a new day has dawned? They thought for a moment, then one of them said, Oh, when you see the first rays of light in the sky. Another said, No, I think it's when you can first see the sun sitting on the horizon. Another thought for a moment and then said, I believe it's when you can see in the face of a stranger coming toward us, our brother. Paul says we are all related, that we're all a part of the family of God. After Paul makes those three points, then he comes to his conclusion. It's in verse 27. He says all of this has happened, God has done all of this, so that they, or humanity, would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him, though indeed He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are His offspring. As some have said, we do not live in the world for God, rather we live in God for the world. In Him we live and move and have our being. A couple of weeks ago, I was gone to the Spiritual Academy. It's a spiritual retreat I go to. One of the speakers was talking about a fellow I don't remember ever studying in Christian history. I'd heard the name. His name is Aiden. He was a monk back in the 6th century. He had some early success as well as as some early failures in his life. It was kind of up and down. And then he experienced some serious debilitating illnesses and was at the point of death on a couple of occasions. On one of those occasions, he was staying in a monastery in Ireland. The monks there decided they needed to send some missionary to Britain. So they discussed it and then selected a particularly dynamic and forceful one of the monks said to him, you be the lead, choose 12 others from amongst us and go and convince the Brits of the Christian life and faith. So he gathered up those 12 and they go, they leave with great enthusiasm. They are ready to be missionaries and evangelists for the gospel. But before very long, they come back. And say we were unsuccessful. We were not able to get anyone to hardly listen. Let alone convince any to join us as followers of Christ. As the monks discussed it further. Finally Aidan spoke up. He suggested that perhaps they try a different tact. He says maybe we should go and listen first. Maybe learn their language and learn their Customs and cultures all the while living as Christians together and treating all with the love of God. The brothers listen and say, okay, we'll give you a try. He says, well, if you want me to go, I'm telling you, I think we should go and plan to stay for a generation. We should give God time to ripen the harvest. They say, okay. 
They say, you go on our behalf. You get to choose 12 as well and take them with you. And so Aidan chooses 12 from his community, and they go to England. They notice early on that there are many orphans, so they build an orphanage, then they build a school, then they build a monastery, all the while treating one another with the love of Christ. And sure enough, others who live there begin to ask questions. Others begin to inquire about the faith. Others want to know about this Jesus Christ of which they speak. And sure enough, many come to faith as Aden embodies this love of God that he has come to know in Christ and is now willing to share it with others and give God time to ripen the harvest. Paul would say to us, we could do the same right here, right now. For in him we live and move and have our being. And of that we can be sure, he says, because God has given us assurance, assurance to all of us by raising this Jesus from the dead. It's important for these graduating seniors to know, but for all of us to know as well, that there is nowhere we can go that God has not already been at work. Amen, and thanks be to God.